Do you ever catch yourself wishing you didn't have to stay positive? Or maybe you've been working on keeping a positive mindset for years, but it still feels like a daily battle sometimes. Having a chronic illness means you're being told to stay positive all the time. And let's be honest, it's exhausting. Because pushing ourselves to stay positive is not actually positive. There's a much easier way to get a strong, positive mindset and all of the feel-good perks that come with it without the pressure of looking on the bright side. Check out my free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset. In it, I give the straight scoop on strategies that work and common strategies that are a waste of time and energy. Go to andreahansencoaching.com now or use the link in this podcast description and get your free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset, today. Hi, everyone. This week's episode has it all inspiration, helpful tips, and a ton of, I think, really relatable challenges like emotional eating and wanting to go against your doctor's advice. Valerie was so informative, and I loved talking to her. Just listening to her talk made me feel calmer. Her demeanor is very zen. It's probably from being a nurse. Most nurses have that calm, confident way about them, delivering super helpful information in a very scientifically sound and straightforward way. Well, that was Valerie, and I think you're going to love her as much as I do. And stay tuned to the end where she gives us beginner tips on how to go into rock climbing that are very doable. Please enjoy this week's episode and visit andreahansencoaching.com for more on Valerie Baczynski, resources that we talk about in the show, and transcripts from today's episode. Welcome to the Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis podcast. I'm Andrea Hansen, author, motivational speaker, and master certified coach. When I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, I was told I would never reach my goals. But I did. And I'm on a mission to prove that life with a chronic illness can still be expansive and quite remarkable. Everyone has their own unique path. I'm talking to people living with a chronic illness that come from different backgrounds, have different points of view, and are achieving amazing life goals of all kinds to inspire you to achieve what you thought was impossible. These stories are raw, uncensored, and judgment-free. This means that there may be some adult language, sensitive topics, and possible triggers for listeners. Listener discretion is advised. I am here with Valerie Baczynski. Valerie is an arthritis wellness specialist who serves women seeking to reduce joint pain and inflammation so they can live their best life. She holds a master's degree in nursing and a bachelor's degree in health education. She is a certified health coach and has practiced as a registered nurse for over 25 years. Faced with her own diagnosis of arthritis at the age of 27, Valerie has spent many years researching ways to lessen arthritis symptoms and slow its progression. A recent escalation of her own symptoms brought on by the additional occupational stress that accompanied the pandemic taught her to explore the ways in which psychosocial factors and past trauma contribute to arthritis symptoms and the ability to make healthy choices. Through it all, she has been able to maintain her active lifestyle and pursue the activities she is passionate about, mainly rock climbing and hiking. Valerie now shares her accumulated knowledge and expertise coaching other women with arthritis to develop the habits needed to live their best life. She passionately believes that no woman should have to throw away her dreams because of joint pain or a diagnosis of arthritis. Hi, Valerie. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I love that last part because it's really something that I am also very passionate about and why I even started this podcast. It's because I think that nobody with a chronic illness should have to give up on their dreams or just their passions, or even things that bring them joy. I agree completely with that. Yeah. And I, I have to just go straight to this because it's like the biggest part is you are a hiker, but also a ruck climber. So yes. if there's anything that says that you shouldn't give up on your passions because of your illness, it's the fact that you're a rock climber. So I've been rock climbing now for about 17 years. Wow. And it actually, uh, I started rock climbing after I was diagnosed with osteoarthritis. So I already had the diagnosis. And what's 
funny is that one of the ways that I built the momentum at the beginning was my knee was acting up and I had a big backpack through the Sierra planned and it hurt me to go downhill. So I canceled that um, backpacking, that dream bucketless backpacking trip. And instead, I decided I would take rock climbing lessons in Yosemite National Park. That's quite a substitution. Yeah, well, I could, I was fine going up. What kept you going instead of saying, gosh, I can't go anymore because my knee's acting up and I have this diagnosis, better stay home. You didn't do that. You almost like doubled down. You're like, well, I can go up. So I was diagnosed when I was really young. I was 27. So that's young for osteoarthritis. I was an avid hiker at the time. And I had some knee pain and I went to my primary care um, provider and she did the x-rays of my knee. And I can remember her looking at me and looking at the x-rays and saying, maybe you should put your feet up and relax. And that wasn't an option for me. I mean, what I, I was outdoors. That's, that was my passion. It was what healed me. I loved being outside. I loved getting deep into the woods. Just sitting and putting up my feet was not an option for me. And also I was 27. Denial was probably a big part of it at that time. And I was stubborn and just refused to take that advice. And thank God I did, because now we know that keeping moving is one of the best things that you can do for osteoarthritis. You know, I really resonated with that part of your story. I was also diagnosed young. I was 22 when I was diagnosed with MS. And I got similar advice. The nurse that came in basically told me, you're no longer going to be able to take hot showers because some people have problems with that with MS. You can't take a hot shower. You can't exert yourself. You have to do something like yoga. Water you know, exercises. Calm. Yeah, you got to <laughs> calm down. I think it's a benefit of being diagnosed early because I immediately, I didn't say it out loud, but in my head, I was like, you're full of crap. Who are you to even tell me that I can't do this? That's ridiculous. And within a couple of years, I was doing jujitsu, hiking up to Machu Picchu. I mean, I was doing all sorts nice. of things, but I think it's the benefit of being younger. And I think you're right. It, maybe part of it was a little bit of denial, although I don't know. Some of that rebelliousness from a teenager is still is still there, I think, in your 20s. And I think it served both of us well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because you'd be at home with your feet up. Mm -hmm. And you're right. I think movement is so important. And back when you and I were diagnosed, it wasn't so evident yes. that that was actually, it was, it almost sounded like it was counterintuitive. So it's almost by chance that we were doing the right thing. But now the sci the last 15 years, the science that has come out regarding arthritis, and I'm sure a lot of other chronic illnesses, is that it's better to keep moving. Tell me why specifically with arthritis, it's better to keep moving. Keeps the uh, joints lubricated. So when you're uh, moving your joints, it, your joints are producing a synovial fluid, which is the thick fluid that keeps your joints lubricated. That's our main lubricating fluid in our joints is synovial fluid. And then also just to keep the joints mobile, but also to keep the muscles strong. And the muscles provide more support to the joints than any brace ever could. So it's really good to keep the the joints strong. One of the reasons why I think I don't have that much pain in my knees right now is because I have quads of steel and they're really good at supporting my knees. It seems those bigger my, my quads get or in my other muscles, you have to pay attention to the other muscles, the less pain uh, that you'll have. And then also moving the joint also helps like those pro-inflammatory chemicals get out of that joint capsule instead of just sitting around and causing inflammation. Right. Wreaking havoc. Yes. Now you were a nurse. Are you still a nurse? So I was in a position where basically I was managing all the employees who were being tested and who came back positive for COVID on top of everything else. The stress was really bad. Also, I had a big infection control background so that my job really pulled a lot on me and it was it was too much right i had no time for self-care i was under a lot of stress all the time 
And I really felt my joint pain increasing. Almost joints that never hurt before started to hurt. I was under a a tremendous amount of stress. It was really hard to leave. That was a big challenge. But I moved. I moved from New York to Las Vegas to be closer to the mountains. And I saw my dreams slipping away. I was getting farther away from them than I was getting closer to them. So I made the decision to leave my job as a nurse. I still consider myself a nurse. I think once you're a nurse, you're always a nurse. I, yes. I still yes. have a nursing license. And I also always have that. If I need to go back to nursing, I can do that. So to answer your question, I would still consider myself a nurse. Yeah, for sure. Everybody that I know that is a nurse is the same way. It's a part of you. It really is. Especially if I, I was, I've been doing it for 25 years. So it is a part of me. It's just as far as coaching and what you can do with the, within the scope of practice of a nurse, I have to be careful with what I call myself now. Well, and I think it's, it's worth noting that as a nurse, you put yourself first as your number one patient. Yes. I think that's very brave and very valiant and not a lot of people do that. So I think that was a really courageous move to say, this is making me sicker. I need to change this part of it yes. because you had the eye on the prize, which is the mountains and hiking and rock climbing and all of this amazing stuff. And to realize something like your current career is standing in the way of that and to leave that is, is huge. How was it to make that actual decision? How did you feel? What were you thinking about? It was, it was very scary. I had a, it, the job here. I wouldn't say it was that great of a job, but it was well-paying. Which is important. Yes, which is important. And it allowed me to do what I wanted to do financially. And I have a strong attachment to financial security. Yes, <laughs> which I think is very healthy and we should all have a strong attachment to financial security. I was very lucky. My, my significant other, he was great. A lot of it came from his encouragement. I mean, I would be crying every night with just, it was just so much the stress of the job. And he's like, this is killing you. You can't keep doing this. How long are you going to keep doing this for? So I, it, there was a lot of encouragement there. And also I had been saving up my money. So I was almost for a year, I start, I decided I was going to cut down on my expenses so that I could do this. Yeah, it's a common theme, I think, among a lot of people that I talk to. And I think among a lot of listeners where we're in a job, be it something like nursing or if you're in any kind of a healthcare profession or like me, I was in corporate, a lot of people are in, even if they're in like nonprofits, it's the idea of noticing staying in this environment is killing me. It's making the stress worse, which in turn makes the inflammation worse, which in turn makes the chronic illness worse. And it's seeing that direct line and realizing the hard, hard decision which is, I've got to get out of here. And sometimes as a mindset coach, I know that we can do all sorts of things to make ourselves feel better about where we are. Mm -hmm. Mindset tricks and positive thinking and gratitude and all sorts of things that are great. But sometimes we use that to keep ourselves in an actual situation that yes. we just need to get out of. Yes, I did a lot of work on that. And I did very good before COVID at doing that, the mindset and the challenging the thoughts and that self-cognitive behavioral therapy and stuff like that. But it seemed when COVID came on, like they wouldn't accept my boundaries. So that, that was probably the final straw is when I was trying to set boundaries, which still was a lot of work I was doing. And I was starting to push back, but when they wouldn't accept my boundaries. And it was hard with COVID because as a healthcare professional, you saw so many other healthcare professionals making sacrifices at that time and, and seeing on the news what people, there were so many healthcare professionals that are like martyrs um, working 80 hours a week. And it was kind of hard to 
see that and then at the same time have to put myself first. So that was that was a challenge. It seemed like we were in this battle here and um, opting out. Right. I think it's a really interesting thing to look at because part of it, I think, is just our society where people tend to work a lot. And sometimes you have to because you're at a lower paying job and you just need to work maybe multiple jobs. Sometimes you want to because it's a, an industry that just calls for long hours. And sometimes it's in an industry where you will look around and everybody else is putting in those hours. And so you feel like you have to put in these hours. And it makes it really difficult because it's this added peer pressure that was coming from other people, coming from our job, coming from the people that we work with, but it's also coming from ourselves yes. because we feel guilty about putting ourselves first. So it's an interesting thing to think about, especially when it is a situation where you need to take yourself out of that situation and you need to put yourself first. And I think as people with chronic illness, putting ourselves first is that much more important. Yes, I agree with that. I mean, I think it's important for everybody, but if yeah. you are, if you have health challenges, it becomes even more important. Right. And I think that's always the argument is that really, like, I, I feel like me being diagnosed or developing this chronic illness made me change a whole bunch as far as how I take care of myself. But really, everybody should take care of themselves yes. that way. <laughs> Like we would have a much healthier society if everybody took care of themselves as yes. if they had a chronic illness. You know, it's taken me a while to own that I have osteoarthritis and that I need to own that need for the self-care. So at work or even when I'm rock climbing and I'm with a partner who is, let's say, I'm never going to be as fast as them hiking up this, this rocky trail because of how my joints are. I, have, I don't have full range of motion in my joints. And once upon a time, I just would have pushed. I wouldn't have said anything or I would have felt shame or I would have felt like I was less than, than them. Just like last week, I was with, she's a lot younger than me too. She's young, she's 31, I'm 48. And we, we climbed, we did a beautiful rock climb. It was a great, it was such a beautiful day. And down at the bottom of the rock climb was this waterfall. And it's only running in the spring because I'm in the desert. And we sat there for a while. And it's kind of funny that I did this whole rock climb, but what ended up hurting me was sitting too long at the waterfall. So then on the way out, I was a little limpy. The, the trail was rocky. And I knew as soon as I got to just a level trail where I could just walk, I would be fine. But at the beginning, I was really um, slow. And I said to her, I just said, my ankle stiffened up when we were sitting here. It's going to take a few minutes for me to get back up to speed. And she was fine with it. Once upon a time, I, I would have felt ashamed of that. But now... It's just part of me. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. And most people, they don't mind it. Fear of someone having a problem with me being slower. It's in my head. It's not them. They don't, other people really don't care. I think that that really speaks to something that a lot of us deal with, arguably chronic illness or no chronic illness, but this idea of what does somebody think about me? Yes. And what do they think about me not being able to keep up? Am I slowing them down? Am I am I ruining their experience? Are they going to want to climb with me again? Yeah. <laughs> am I going to get the invitation again? And it's always really interesting. I I was the same way for the longest time. I worried, like, what is somebody going to do? Do they think I'm lazy? Do they think I'm out of shape, just not trying? What, you know, and and once just like you, once I realized like, oh, well, they actually don't care. Yes. Or like my favorite is like, they weren't even thinking about it until I asked them something and they're like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you mean? Or I have a 27 year old partner I climb with and he'll say, he said once to me, I think you're so bad at ass because you still climb and you have this arthritis. So we're thinking they're thinking less of us, but 
in reality, they're thinking more. Yeah, I love that. Now, you mentioned a little bit osteoarthritis. How is it affecting you when it comes to being able to go out and doing things that you love? You mentioned not having full range of motion, getting a little bit stiff when you were sitting, but kind of explain a little bit more about what that is. If I'm able to care for myself the way I need to, it's it's a lot better. So if I eat the right foods, if I I walk every, I have to walk every day, I'll get my like two mile walk in every day, then it's not, it's not that bad. It really isn't. I sit at my desk for a while. I have to remember to get up and move, which is hard when you're starting your own business and you're working on your own stuff. You tend to get into that groove and you want to keep going. But, you know, that getting up and moving is part of that self-care so that you're not sitting for hours at a time. So if I'm able to do those things, it's not that bad. A little bit over a year ago, when I was recovering from the effects of the of the job, it was pretty bad. I, I put a lot of weight on. I was eating poorly. I was doing a lot of emotional eating. And of course, when we emotionally eat, we're not re- reaching for the vegetables and the fruit. We're eating the fatty and the sugary foods that cause inflammation. Salty, crunchy. Yes. All that stress release that we're looking yes. for in the food. So I was, I kind of got to a point, I had a, I did definitely have like a breaking point where I knew I had to change things. Mm-hmm. My knee, I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do because I, I had the, the pain in my bat, my bad knee was at a point where it was pretty painful to hike. I did have a rock climb planned as Cathedral Peak in Yosemite National Park which invites like above a 4,000 foot day and I couldn't do it. So this is where it was kind of like my rock bottom where I knew I had to start dedicating my, my life to my health, living that lifestyle, adopting that lifestyle that would allow me to have to live my best life. Mm-hmm. So I lost the weight. I started to stick to the, um, like an anti-inflammatory diet and lifestyle because there's, it's more than just diet. It's the stress and the sleep. And it's also the mindset. I had to learn how to love myself and make choices out of this deep love of myself rather than the shame, which is how I was brought up. Right. It always comes from childhood, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> always. And then the choices be- began to come easily for me. And I started living in a way that was much better for myself and my joints. Yeah. So how did it look like going into it? Because I know making a big lifestyle change like that is never a straight line, right? It's never just, I decided, and then I just started doing it every single time I made a decision. maybe, Maybe with you it was. Well, no, I mean, so this is, so I've had arthritis for over 20 years and I was, I'm a nurse and I was able to do some research here and there. Definitely got better. I got better at it once I got my master's degree. I would do a supplement here, and, but I knew, I knew weight was very important. And I also knew that the, how important diet was, but knowing what I was doing was hurting me and at the same time still doing it. Right. So that was very difficult. And that almost tried, that almost starts the shame spiral where it's really hard to get out of that. And I, I think acknowledging where that came from, where, where that originated, which was past trauma and, and, and my childhood, that it wasn't just me. It was survival mode. My, way to survive. Once I realized that, it became easier to make the choices that I needed to make. And it was also that negative voice in your head that a lot of us have, that that internal critic. Mm -hmm. First of all, recognizing it, because it was always going and you would just accept it as it being there, but starting to recognize it and starting to challenge it. So I think that was a big, a big step towards moving in the direction that I needed to move into. 
Yeah, it is all about looking internally and seeing, okay, where did these habits come from? Because very rarely when it comes to something, or is this a habit that we just kind of developed out of thin air? <laughs> you know, recently, like a lot of times it's something that has developed in childhood through a past trauma or through something that one person might have said to you at some point and it just yes. sticks with you, right? Yes. It doesn't even have to be a big event. And I think for me, knowing knowing that when I was looking and trying to figure out, okay, what's what's going on with like with my eating habits? Because I very much used food as a coping mechanism, especially with all the stuff that's going on with my illness. And I had to say like, okay, I'm not looking for a huge trauma. Like it's okay if I look back and realize mm -hmm. I have this memory of this one time that somebody, somebody, usually some kind of an authority figure in my life said X. And I realized that I just, for some reason, I instantly internalized it when I was eight. Mm -hmm. And I'm still eating from that perspective. Or it doesn't even have to be trauma. It could be yeah. every time you cried, your mother gave you food. Right. So now every time you're looking for that soothing, instead of doing it in other ways. Right. Don't cry. Have a cookie. Yes. They meant, they meant well. They did. They did. And, and that's the other thing I think is it doesn't mean that you're going back and rejecting people or a lot of times it was said out of well-meaning and from their perspective and their past traumas and their hurt and yes. why they are their whole thought process that has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And I think once I realized that, I don't know about you, but once I realized that, it didn't mean once I was I was identifying, oh, it's this that made me feel this way and this one thing happened. I wasn't, it wasn't that I was against these people that are still very important to me. Mm. It was just that it was something that was said for a reason that has nothing to do with me. And it was internalized by me for some kind of a reason that I'm not sure. And it's just something to work through. Yes. It doesn't have to mean that you're rejecting and getting angry and have to confront people or, or do anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. It's like a look at it in a blameless way. Yes. It's also not blaming yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you're not blaming yourself. You're not blaming other people because if you're not to blame by what happened to you, then they're not to blame because something happened to them too. It all just gets passed on. You talk about this anti-inflammatory lifestyle, which sounds like something that you went into once you realized, I've got to change things. Yes. My body is not happy. My body is telling me that everything's got to change. I know when we're talking about anti-inflammatory, we know, we all know it's things like stress. It's things like food or different foods that your your body doesn't like. It can be environmental, like pollution yes. and things like that. But talk to us about what that anti-inflammatory lifestyle looked for you and maybe some things that people would be surprised to learn actually cause inflammation. For me, I think a big part of it was the weight loss. I put on a lot of weight. And I think one thing with osteoarthritis anyway, being overweight or having extra weight on has always been associated with osteoarthritis, right? We know it increases the risk of osteoarthritis. And it used to be that they thought it was because of, it would put more wear and tear on the joints. And now recent research is showing that it's probably not, well, they haven't ruled out that the wear, the increased wear and tear isn't a problem. But that is because our fat cells secrete uh, pro-inflammatory chemicals. And the more fat that you're carrying, the more these pro-inflammatory chemicals are going to be secreted. So the less fat cells you have, the less pro-inflammatory the adipokines, the less of these are being secreted. So losing some of the fat, I think, was really big. And then sticking to the right diet. So more vegetables and more fruits, because these all have 
phytochemicals and nutrients in them that fight inflammation and then staying away from the things that cause inflammation, the foods that cause inflammation. So I'm, I'm very science-based. I've dove into the research and what the science seems to agree on is that you want to stay away from sugar. You want to limit your saturated fat, no trans fat. Trans fat is very bad. It's artificial fat and that also processed and preserved meats. So those are the, that seems to be what science agrees on. And then stress is also very important. I think a lot of people don't realize that how much um, stress can contribute to inflammation, but then also sleep is a big, big factor. Uh, just one night of, they've done studies, one night of poor sleep can cause inflammation levels to spike. So it's really important to get good sleep. A lot of people do not prioritize sleep. They see sleep as something that they can give up, that it's expendable, that they they sacrifice it for whatever their definition of success is. Right. Or just for the mindless TV watching or whatever keeps people up at night. But it and it takes it does take discipline to say it. I go to bed at like 830 every night. I do too. <laughs> to me, the day the day's done. <laughs> you know, I am the same way. If you if you like text me or something after I'd say like nine o'clock, talk to you tomorrow. Yeah, I don't <laughs> get it. <laughs> So talk a little bit more about good sleep, because I know it's something that I'm always trying to prioritize and work on, but it's hard. It doesn't always come naturally. And when yes. you read about it, some people are great with five hours. Some people say, if you're not getting nine hours, it's crap. And it seems like all across the board. So talk about yeah. what is good sleep? What does that look like? I think seven to nine hours. It's very rare that you're going to find somebody who can get by on less than seven a night routinely. I think that I can get by on five hours a night. I think that's one of those martyr statements that look what I can give up to be successful. Yeah. There's probably a few, in, you know, individuals out there who can genetically, they can go by on less sleep than seven hours, but the vast majority of the population, we need to get that seven to nine hours of good sleep. And what if people wake up like during the nights? Well, there's several ways to improve your sleep. These are called, it's called sleep hygiene. Um, I think a lot of people focus on the hour or so before bed, but getting good, uh, good night's sleep starts the minute you wake up. And one of the big things to do is to make sure you get that uh, a good dose of bright natural light in the morning or like early in the afternoon. So I get my walk every day. I go outside and get my walk. That really helps. But if you can't do that, you're just opening up the shades and getting that bright light in. Also, sticking to regular meal times uh, really helps and not eating, you know, an hour or two before you head to bed. But sticking to regular meal times gets your, it's all part of that rhythm of our body. So if we eat at the same time and then our body's going to start to expect, okay, this is when I'm going to go to sleep. So it's all part of that, that rhythm. Also, well, caffeine is a big one. And it's guilty as far as caffeine goes. I think it's a really good idea to keep like, if you have trouble sleeping, to keep like a sleep journal and keep track of these habits. You keep track of the bright light and the exercise that you get during the day and your caffeine intake. And you know, see exactly what contributes to your sleep or your lack of sleep at night. See if you can pick up any patterns. Getting the exercise during the day also helps. Alcohol is also a big thing that can be detrimental to sleep. A lot of people think that glass of wine in the evening helps them sleep. But actually, it helps you fall asleep. But then you're waking up at 1 a.m. and you can't go back to sleep. So it it. And I got to look at this, but it was brought to my attention very recently that uh, marijuana might do the same thing. Oh, so interesting. I have to look into that. I, I haven't done any research on that, but we'll have to look into that. And a lot of people, a lot of places now, that's an option to a lot of people. And a lot of people are turning to CBD or THC for sleep, but it might have a negative effect on your total sleep for the night. For some people, 
it's assumed that if you have trouble sleeping, it's because you have trouble falling asleep and then you have to get up at a certain time. That's not flexible. And so that can, that can affect your sleep. But a lot of people, I'm the same way, falling asleep, falling asleep is not my problem. It's staying asleep. Yes. And I tend to, I know we have those REM cycles, right? Like those four hour REM cycles. Mm-hmm. And then in between, it's like you're really, it's like a very light sleep. And then you go into the next REM yes. cycle. And I feel like I, I wake up in between REM cycles. And a lot of time I can go back to sleep, but for a lot of people, it's staying asleep. That's, mm-hmm. that's a lot harder. That was my problem too during the whole COVID thing. I'd have no, I'd be exhausted. I'd have no problem falling asleep. But about midnight, 1 a.m., I'd wake up and I would, I don't know if I was dreaming about the job or I would have, it was called my list. It was my list of all the people I was following. Nice. At the time, I would wake up and I would just see that list and then the stress would just start pouring in. And it's so hard to, you know, even if you can calm your mind because you can, you know, grab that meditation recording or, and that can all help, but. I think the chemicals are going. It's hard to put those back down so that you can go back to sleep. Is there something that people can do either in the morning, which I think is fascinating, right? Start working on your sleep right when you wake up. I love that. But before they go to sleep, is there something that people can work on that can help them not wake up at one, two, and then start thinking about the important stuff that you have to think about at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I mean, I think it works well to just create like a really relaxing sleep environment. So make sure it's dark, make sure it's free of noise. We live in Las Vegas and we're, it's more like a suburb where we are, but still it's all straight streets and people are drag racing at night and motorcycles going by. And so we got a um, white noise generator. And that really, it's amazing. Just really? the sound that it puts out and it's just, it blocks out other sounds and it creates a really nice environment for sleep. In fact, if I walk into my bedroom right now, that machine is going, I almost immediately feel relaxed and like I'm ready to sleep because you, you start to make that connection, that association right. between that noise and sleeping. So it's, it's almost like you treat everything around sleep like it's sacred. I I really think people need to get the TVs out of the bedroom. Yes. Yeah, we have no TV in our bedroom. Don't get into the habit of doing stuff on your phone. Right. Or like the TV on your phone, right? Yeah. <laughs> or answering texts or answering emails when you're in in your bed. Keep that as a, like, I'll read my phone in my in my bed. Not much. It almost seems like as soon as I lay down, I just want to go to sleep. Because that white noise. Yes. I, I love that <laughs> idea. I'm going to do that because we're the same way. We're, we're like outside of the burbs. We're not even in the burbs. But then it's, you have like coyotes yipping. And so it's amazing what will wake you up. Yes. Just random things mm-hmm. that happen. And I don't know about you, but we like sleeping with our window open because it just gets... I, Temperature is huge. For me, at least, temperature is huge. 60 to 68 is the ideal sleeping temperature. We're the same way. And so I, and sometimes it's just better to have the window open, but then all of a sudden you hear everything. The cat fight. Yeah, gosh. Yeah. Like, (laughs) and, and for me, it's like if I hear something, I can sometimes I feel it like pulling myself out of the dream. Like, because I'm very, I'm a very lucid dreamer. Like I'm, I'm usually pretty aware of what I'm dreaming. And so it's almost like I can feel it pulling me out because my brain is saying, wait, what's that noise? Mm. What is that? Is that a cat? Is that a child? Is that a, yep. you know what I mean? And all of a sudden my brain gets like fixated on what that noise is. And then boom, I'm out. Yes. Out of that state. Yeah. So I love that idea of, of a white noise machine. I've never thought about it. I mean, of course, we all know about them, but I've never thought about it in that way as far as something that that trains you to sleep. Mm -hmm. And the second we wake up, getting that bright light. I think that's amazing. Can you talk to the people who are listening that have been diagnosed 
not necessarily with osteoarthritis. It could be with anything. And they're thinking to themselves, I really want to continue hiking. I really want to continue doing something like traveling or rock climbing, whatever it is. What do you say to the people when they feel like they can't do that anymore because they Mm -hmm. have a diagnosis or they feel like they can't do something because they have aches and pains or they feel like they are going to make something worse? Yeah, I think that's a big one. People are afraid they're going to make make things worse and pain is not always mean you're causing more damage. In fact, it usually doesn't. That's amazing. I almost want you to say that again. Because I think that's a big eye-opener. So the pain does not equal more damage being done. Pain is very complex. All pain originates in the brain. And they're looking now at at medical imaging and they look at MRI results and x-ray results. And there's there's no correlation between the amount of pain someone has and what their x-ray shows or their MRI shows. There's people they do x-rays on and they have significant arthritis and they don't have pain. And then you have the other way around. You know, it is very hard to ignore pain. And sometimes there is a real injury there that you should have to pay attention to. One of my favorite sayings is keep moving, but read the road signs. So, you know, get to know your body. I think that's very important is to get to know your body. There'll, There'll be things on me that hurt. And I keep going. And then there's things on me that hurt that I'm like, oh, maybe I should, shouldn't climb tomorrow. So you, you start to, to really be, be in tune with your body so you can, so you know, so you, that you don't cause yourself more harm. But I don't think that anyone should have to stop what they're doing for any diagnosis and that your dreams are still possible. They're, just maybe things that you have to overcome or adjustments that you need to make. Like with hiking with me, I always have my truck poles with me. Your what? Truck poles, the hiking. hiking oh, the pole, gotcha. Yep. <laughs> I always have them with me. Even yesterday, I carried them in my hand. I never used them, but I have them there just in case I do need them. Right. And for me with hiking, to me, that's almost like survival gear because if something ever happened, I'd I'd still be able to get out with them if my something happened. I did have something happen once on a hike where, and I went to a couple doctors for this, what happened? Because you want to know. And of course, no one ever really figured it out. But one of the doctors thought maybe the bones hit each other, bone on bone, and it was like a bone bruise. Oh, wow. So having the poles were really important because that's how I got out of the woods that day. Yeah. And and I think that's a really good point. It's that it doesn't have to make you stop. And there's nothing, there's no shame in being prepared. Mm -hmm. Just carrying something that might help you. Yep. It's, It's just like carrying something that might help you if you were injured in it because you, there was a rock slide or something. Yep. Right? Well, you carry a Band-Aid. Some people just carry a couple Band-Aids. Some people have to carry a a bandage also. Yeah. I carry an air horn because of mountain lions and animals (laughs) and things like that. (laughs) True. (laughs) True story. But it's the same thing. It's, it's, there's no shame in bringing along things that help you Mm -hmm. and help you do what it is that you want to do. Yes. Instead of saying, oh, I have to do it the way everybody else does it. Or needing different things than a total 100% able-bodied. I don't like that word. Some people don't need that. Or like yesterday I was looking at my climbing partner's shoes and I thought, oh, she just had the regular market insoles in her shoes. You know, the ones that the shoes came with. And I thought, Imagine being able to just put on a pair of shoes and not have to put a special insert in it. <laughs> but that's, it's what I have to do. And if it still gives me what I get, I'm very happy to use yeah. the extra insert or trekking pole or I've, I'm brace free right now, but I had to use a pretty significant knee brace in the past. And I probably will again if I'm. Hopefully I can do a backpack. I can get out to the Sierra this year Ugh. for a backpack. And I 
think the knee brace is a good idea with the extra 30 pounds on my back. I love that you're encouraging people to get out and do what they're passionate about, stay active, do things that they love. And at the same time, you are living it. You're living proof that absolutely you can do this and there's ways that you can make it better for yourself. I mean, there's a lot of ways, not just Mm -hmm. by carrying trekking poles, but by eating a different way. Yes. And, and by the way, it's when you were describing your diet, it, it doesn't sound hugely restrictive. Yeah. There's a lot of all over, you look all over the internet and there's different definitions of what an anti-inflammatory diet is. And some of them are a little nuts. I see oil free now and I keep seeing that. I'm like, what, where does that come from? Olive oil is one of the most anti-inflammatory things you can put in your mouth. Yeah. And I can't imagine restricting that unless you have an allergy or you've proven that you're sensitive to olive oil. I can't imagine restricting yourself from the benefits of olive oil. So that's just one example. And I think a lot of people look at other people's definitions of an anti-inflammatory diet and they're really intimidated. Because some places you look, you really have to give up a lot. I say start with the science. Scientific studies have shown that this is what causes inflammation or this promotes inflammation. Scientific studies have shown that this reduces inflammation. Start there. And then if you're still having trouble, then start looking at your individual triggers, like the dairy and the gluten that People will tell you to start with that first, but I I think it's better to start with the things that's when they took a group of a thousand people and did a study on them, this, this was what we saw really did promote inflammation in in that group at it, like at an average. Yeah. It's start with, start with that low hanging fruit, right? No pun pun intended, (laughs) (laughs) but right. The easy, easy things like eat more fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Which that's perfect. I know I can. A lot of people can. <laughs> yeah. But I, I love that. I love that viewpoint because I think diet is one of those things that can be it, intimidating is a very good word. It can be very intimidating because there's a lot of people that make it very restrictive and then make it that if you don't follow this really restrictive diet, then you're not really serious. Yes. About it. And it does not have to be that way. And also expect that life is going to happen. And, you know, every, allow yourself to go out to dinner every once in a while and eat what you want, right? Or you go to a wedding or it's a birthday party. And I think people get in and out where if they have like one piece of cake or they eat one fatty steak that they failed. But it doesn't, you have to allow life to happen. Right. Prioritize your health and make decisions for yourself to be healthy, but allow yourself every once in a while, you know, kind of write that into the roadmap. Yeah. I mean, if you're too restrictive all the time, that is a disaster Mm -hmm. waiting to happen because that's where that inner critic comes in. That's where that mindset comes in. If you quote fall off the wagon, then all of a sudden you feel like, well, happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. Might as well finish the ice cream today, it doesn't matter. (laughs) It starts to snowball into something much, much bigger. Instead of just like, hey, have have the freaking cake. (laughs) It's okay. And sometimes if you allow yourself, you find yourself that you find that you don't want it. And like one of my things is I love tiramisu and I haven't had it in a while. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'll have the tiramisu. And then, no, I don't really want it. When I also, like, I don't want to have anything inflammatory like the night before I'm going to be doing a big climb or a big hike. Once you see that correlation in yourself, like, oh, I did, I had this, and now the next day my joints hurt, you, you decide, what do you want more? Yeah, I think it's a really, it's a very important question. Yes. And, and to know that it, it does happen fast. Just like eating a lot of sodium, you feel puffy immediately mm-hmm. yes. eating a lot of sugar you feel that inflammation mm-hmm. pretty immediately yeah yeah some things are pretty quick 
that nothing's worse than when you don't have something for a long time and then you think, oh, this is my favorite. I'm going to have it. And then you have it and it's like disappointing. Yeah, it wasn't as good as you remember. And then you're like, oh, was that worth it? (sighs) Such a bummer. Well, Valerie, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've taken up a lot of your time. I want to keep talking to you about this. But I think you have given us so much to think about and so many things that I think are a twist on things that people generally know, like stress and sleep. But you are giving us a different angle. You're giving us something separate to look at that's going to help us that much more and dial in our health that much more so we can do things like rock climb which yes you're like inspiring me i want to go out and learn how to rock climb i think you can do that (laughs) i think people think rock climbing is this big thing hard i think it's hard and you know the great thing about rock climbing is that it's all graded by number so it's you have climbs from everything from 5.0 up to 5.15 C or D, I think they're at right now. And I'm around a 5.8, I'm trying to push into 5.9. And it's as challenging for me as it is for the people that were next to us yesterday who are at 5.11 and trying to push into 5.12. Like there's always a challenge there. Yeah. So you can keep moving up this, it's really amazing. And or you can be happy at five four and still have a blast and still get on the rock and get to beautiful places. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> going to go try this. And you can start at the gym too. The climbing. That's right. Gym. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, thank you again for coming and talking to us and opening our eyes to I think a lot of things that people didn't even know existed. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis. If you like the show, don't be shy. Please give us a five-star rating and review. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you're listening right now. To see complete show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit andreahansencoaching.com. Thank you for joining me. And until next time, take care.